1: Um, as we go into this today. Um, I'm I'm RJ, in case you guys didn't know that, and... Pastor Larry. I want to understand something about the book of Revelation. God gave the message to Jesus, right? Jesus gave it to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave the message to the angel, who gave the message to John, who at the time was on a little island called Patmos. And he wrote the message in a book and sent it to the seven churches in Asia, which Dale's gonna talk about in a second. And then their job was to take the message and send it to everybody. That's a good foundation for that. Okay, you it go is. ahead.
2: Could we put the map up on the screen for everyone to see? No, wrong one. This is the map of the seven churches.
0: We don't want to go backwards.
2: Is that
1: the map from the wars? Yeah. Yeah, that's the map from the wars. So,
0: while they're finding the map, I just want to just want to make mention When we talk about the churches, often we we look at them as something in the past. Those Those are churches that were. But as we go through this message, highlight and listen for the characteristics that are brought out. And ask yourself this question. Do I show those same characteristics? What is it in my heart that I need to be looking at to make sure that perhaps I am a faithful church to Lord Jesus Christ? All
2: right, well... Okay. Oh, it's on
1: hey, we got side. it. Yes. I
2: turned my chair so I could see it. <laughs> the, I'll just use the eyes in the back of my head. You got it. All right. <clears throat> so, as you see, these are, as Pastor Larry was saying, these are seven physical churches that John, the disciple John, who was on the Isle of Patmos, as we all know in Revelation, he would travel this like a circuit. And it was a Trade circuit. So the things that he spoke to the church, uh, we see all were located in Western Turkey. Only the Philadelphian church, although it was in Turkey, was also in the promise. It was in the promised land, in the territory of Gilead. When the Bible speaks of the angel of the church, it's regarded by some as the pastor because if you read your Strong's, it's translated as the messenger, and it implies being the pastor, right? Well, these seven churches have become a doctrine in some places in which the adherents of it believe that Jesus is coming back only for these seven churches, and all the other of us are going to be lost. So
1: you're saying we need to pack up and move to Turkey?
2: Yeah, you have to move to Turkey and find this church, find one of these churches and get in,
1: (laughs) right? What about the other churches?
2: (laughs) All right. Each church, though, had let their guard down and therefore the false prophet, the Jezebel spirit, and the Antichrist spirit were allowed to operate within their culture and change their constructs and actually cause wreak havoc within the churches. Ephesus had forgotten their purpose. They had stopped working at the relationship and protecting their first priority. But Jesus told them to remember, repent, and begin again to what you do what is right. He wasn't trying to get them to remember their feelings. He wanted them to remember their actions. uh, Ecclesiastes 7 and 9 says, God created people to be virtuous. But they have each turned to follow their own downward path. We are all prone to doing that. We get going one way and then we get thinking something else and we get led astray. Smyrna, due to severe persecution, they are losing sight of God's sovereign authority and protection. They are in danger of further losing sight of who they were in Christ. But God's word says in 2 Timothy 2.19... But God's truth stands firm, like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn from evil. Somewhere all should always keep an ear and an eye to. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I want to jump in on that. Yeah. You know, that church in Smyrna, however you want to say it. Have you ever been walking through something and you feel like, God, remember me? Hey, God, where's my my address is here. Hey, God, remember I exist? Hey, God, remember me? They were so persecuted. They were so struggling with persecution that they were, like, starting to wonder, like, God, do you still see us? Are you still there to save us? You know, and, and sometimes in the moment, but we'll get to it a little bit later, but they get some really good rewards for their standing firm in the midst of the trial. Go ahead.
2: Uh, the next church, Pergamum, it was a compromising church, accepting some false doctrine, turning a blind eye to sin, accepting accepting sin as the norm, the proverbial frog in the bucket. you know those story of the frog in the bucket if you put a frog in a cold pail of water and you warm it up well it 's in cold it won 't jump out. but you throw a frog in a hot pail of water it 'll jump right out well, in the church in Things today, we see that little doctrine slip in and we just take them and float along with them and disregard them. But then, next thing you know, it causes trouble within the church. Thyatira, it was the divided church which allowed sin and false doctrine to be a part of its teachings within the church. Sardis, they were faithful yet weak going through the emotions of Christianity, yet without power. People saw them as strong and faithful, yet Jesus said they were asleep, and what they were doing was not pleasing to God. Their faith was at a low ebb and in danger of disappearing. They were blind to their actions. We're going to talk more about that later, too. The Church of Philadelphia It's the exemplary church. Who has favor with God? Their faith was weak, childlike, yet it was unwavering. They believed what they believed, and there was no one going to change their mind. I had an uncle that used to always tell me that, don't let nobody turn you around. Right? Stay faithful. Laodicea church. This was the vacillating church. It was unstable. It follows what feels good. It it needs to make a choice and make their conviction known. No, it's a double-minded church, and what God said: a double-minded man is unstable as all his way, and he will not receive nothing of God. Right? Jesus said they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This speaks to their lives, lacking peace, hope, joy, and the joy of the Lord. So now I think we're going to kind of break that down, and we're going to see how the antichrist spirit and the false spirit and and we um,
1: Jezebel. Jezebel's to See how they
2: play out. Go yeah, ahead. yeah, for
1: sure. The um, when we're looking at the seven churches, I want everyone to understand there's there's different concepts of biblical prophecy when we look at it. And there's one that we want to look to here and, and it's it's they call it like double where when you look at it, there's, a, there's an interpretation for the people it was written to in that day, and then there's an interpretation for us today. And, and sometimes people try to go to one or the other and they forget that it could be both, okay? And when you look at these churches, there's some really unique things that were said to these churches that would apply to them in that region that they would understand. Um, and, and it would make sense to them in the language of the day. And then there's some things that would make sense to us today. Like you were just talking about Laodicea. and He was talking about the lukewarm. Well, if you look into the history of Laodicea, their water system that came in through clay pipes, it was piped in even back in those days. Uh, they, by the time the water went underground and got over to them, it was always lukewarm when it reached the city. And tepid water, how many of you like to drink tepid water? Usually you like it cold or you like it hot, right? Like, see, I preach better when I have a hot drink. <laughs> By the way, great caramel macchiato today, Ella. <laughs> Go ahead. So um,
0: just out of interest, for those who like to study and do your own little bit of research, um, if you take a look at the seven churches, this is a challenge I'm going to throw out there. How many of you like to study? Okay, good. There's, there's, there's
1: a few. you like tests.
0: Yeah, well, no (laughs) test on this. But you know, um, I don't know how quick you are at at taking notes, but um, when you go through the seven churches, if you take a look at each of the churches with these headings, a description of Jesus Christ, what Christ knows, words of approval, rebuke, counsel and advice, warning, what they have in their favor, the reward for those who overcome, and other promises. Those headings, basically, you can find in you break down an, an interesting study of these seven churches, which just really help to bring a perspective of what the message is. And um, and so there's my challenge for you for this next week, um, to go through that study of the
1: seven churches. So why don't we show them how that works for one category real quick? Oh. Sure. So let's start with the description of Jesus, or the description of Christ. So at the Church of Ephesus, you see that Jesus is described as... Holds the seven
0: stars, walks in the midst of candlesticks.
1: And when you go to Smyrna... Uh,
0: Your hard work and perseverance. Oh, sorry. Nope. Oh, yeah, I see what you're (laughs) doing. Okay, okay, okay. First,
2: the last... There you go. ...and came back to life.
0: Yep, yeah. And then Pergamum... He who has the sharp double-edged sword. Thyatira... The Son of God. Sardis. He who has the seven spirits.
1: Philadelphia. He is holy and true. And
0: Laodicea. The faithful witness.
1: So we see that Jesus is described by seven specific names in these seven dis- different churches. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's probably some revelation in that if you dig into it deeper, what that specifically means yep. for each of those churches in the moment and for us today. Yeah. Okay. But that's a for instance as we're going through it. Now we could spend probably 14 weeks going through all the churches, maybe 21, but we're not gonna do that. So we're working on overviews. Now we're gonna go on. We wanna talk about some of the spirits that were being addressed or some of the issues that were being addressed in those churches at that time. So let's start with Jezebel.
0: So we're gonna look at some of the characteristics of Jezebel um, as we know him present in in, uh, those churches. Jezebel's ultimate goal is always control. And, that, and that's probably the most basic foundational understanding of Jezebel that we can have. Um, the Jezebel spirit is always motivi- motivated by its own agenda. And, um, and there is a relentlessness to the pursuit of that control. Um, God influenced, or people who are influenced by a spirit of Jezebel, they typically have fear of issues of rejection. They control others so that they are not hurt. That's a self-protection mechanism. And generally, there is a history of trauma or abuse associated that initiates that reality.
2: And say that their their lifestyle would be, um, how do you say, their lifestyle would be directed, be fear-based. Correct. Things that they touch on, most things that they see would have an element of fear in them. They'd be afraid to move ahead or say anything because of Mm-hmm. what has happened in their past.
0: Yeah, and and if you wonder, why is it that people have a hard time being obedient to some of the simple things that God asks of us? Mm. Fear of rejection, yeah. right? I'm afraid that I'm gonna mess up. I won't do a good job. Somebody's gonna be upset with me. That There's that aspect too.
2: Yeah, where they think that God is mad at them for some reason. No, oh, no, I can't do that. God's mad at me. Oh, I can't pray that way. Oh, God's gonna be mad at me. I, You know, well... That's the lie of the devil. That's that spirit speaking in your he- ears for you. So now you know that that's one thing you can put away. And that's not matter.
1: at us. For those of you taking notes, this is Revelation 2.20 to the church of Thyatira. Okay, but I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she doesn't want to turn away from her immorality. She also attacks, dominates, and manipulates. She specifically likes to attack male authority. And you remember Queen Jezebel, she usurped the political authority of the kingdom. Its ultimate goal is to conquer and neutralize the prophets of the prophetic giftings within, uh, within churches or countries. And... Uh, if you have a discerning leader, a prophetically edged leader within a congregation, that's a great threat to the enemy. And she wants to silence the enemy, like she is the enemy, she wants to silence her enemy, which is the church. These people or the spirit often comes across as super spiritual in an exaggerated way. Um, It wants to gain acceptance and attention. They have their own agenda and they're always looking to make their own disciples they whine oftentimes until they get their way. How many know that the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Like yep. people that whine and whine and whine and whine because they want their way. How many, you know, after somebody whines for a long time, eventually you just say, okay, enough already, fine. That's right. So
0: there's some overlap in some of these and, and we, we were talking about this a little bit in the, in the first one, but the third one is Jezebel causes fear, flight, and discouragement. And... Um, you know, like the first one, that aspect of fear, but this one more in the relationship of um, causing fear and discouragement in, in ministry or in the calling that God has in our lives. Like Eli, Elijah, when he was, you know, out of fear, goes and hides in the cave instead of standing strong on the word that he had from the Lord. And um, he fled, um, you know, especially after one of the greatest victories you know, of prophetic victory on the face of the earth written in Bible, you know, a word from Jezebel and he's gone. He's running for his life and and discouraged, wants to hide. And that's what the spirit of Jezebel does. It causes a spiritual leader to flee from his appointment or her appointed place by character assassination and ruining their reputation. Um, You know, and unfortunately, I think many of us, without realizing it, we allow ourselves through fear to to not enter into the blessings and the appointed calling that God has for our lives.
1: If you're in a leadership position, which most of you should be, because you were designed by God, the Creator, to lead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. You will find that when you're walking through that character assassination, that ruining your reputation, you feel like you're being gaslit after a while. You start to look at the the lie and go, wait a minute, maybe I don't have the truth right. Because it's such a relentless blanketing assault against you and your character. That's the time when we have to do what the Word of God tells us to do and just stand firm on the truth that we know.
2: Um, I see here also that what that does in the spiritual, attacking the spiritual leader, but attacking us too. In the story of Elijah, even though he is a prophet of God and he had the authority, that great miracle had come to him, and how he performed it, the voice of the government in authority at the time, she was she was the the Ahab's wife, so she had authority. That that voice was enough to deter him from the voice of God, because so in tune with the world around him. So true. That he lost sight of everything that God had just done, and he run. It was a natural instinct because this is a person I can see right in front of him and forgot what God had done for him. And when we come upon something like that, and we will in our lives, as we see it coming every day, we need to stand firm and remember what God has said and who goes before us, who, who directs our path, and stand upon the promise and the word of God.
1: So, when Jezebel's influencing someone, uh, they can be natural leaders, and, and sometimes she does that really in a sneaky way. But also, um, the people that are influenced by Jezebel are often insecure and wounded. Um, they often have these great needs to build up their, their self-worth or their ego that way. And Jezebel tends to target leadership or headship, and you know she wants to be right there next to them that spirit, they put themselves in that position of, I'll be your top assistant or I'll be your right hand. But what happens is it's often shielded from the leader because it manifests only in front of the other people that are around. And when Jezebel's operating this way, there's a, there's a love de- deficit inside of her. Mm-hmm. And people under her control have deep unhealed wounds inside of their life from rejection, fear, insecurity, and bitterness. And that will defile much of who you are. So in Christ, we have to be able to come to the place where we receive the love of God so that we can get healing from the unhealed hurts of our past. And then that takes away this spirit's ability to operate within our life because it it has a paralyzing effect on you and those that you influence.
0: Another one is the the Jezebel spirit functions subtly and deceptively. People controlled by Jezebel use flattery to win you over to their domination. Jezebel spirits are masters of manipulation by guilt and undermining or discrediting another person's influence. Those under Jezebel's control use flirtation and are extremely jealous of anyone they perceive to be a threat. And so often you find that they're not accountable to anyone and often accuse others of being Jezebel. And that's used as a manipulative way of trying to raise themselves up to that position of authority. They often will accuse people falsely.
1: They accuse you of doing what they're doing. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's good. Love it.
1: Say it, again. <laughs> Say it again. It again. They accuse you of doing what they're doing.
2: <laughs> Go ahead, Dale. Okay. It says, ultimately, people under Jezebel's influence are proud, independent, and rebellious. First mm-hmm. Samuel 15:23 says, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and will attempt to control others through any means other than the Holy Spirit. So if you're in a group, someone comes, even in this church here, if someone shows up here and they start telling you, oh, brother, I really see how you're so spiritual, and you know, you got a call on your life, and if you just come along, I got a meeting, come along, they try and drag you out there, they're already trying to manipulate you and get your head swelled up so that you get in pride to to follow them. And they won't, like I said, there's no accountability and they don't have accountability. They'll say, well, I don't need to go to church because God gives me revelation too. You tell them, well, you know what? There's some, in, there's some back in the Bible, there are some that did that and God sent fire down and <laughs> destroyed them. You don't want to go there. Okay? They're, they're, they're rebellious. They won't listen to the pastor come and direct them. They will not take advice. They're not teachable. They are very independent, and they're not so much so that they're strong-willed and will force you and say, they don't know. They've not been where I've been. They don't. And so you will know them by their fruits.
1: They always play the victim. They're never mm-hmm. wrong. They blame others. They use compassion to block your ability to discern. So they feign like they're loving people and caring for others, but really they're only concerned about themselves. And keep in mind... Unless there's an Ahab present, Jezebel can't operate. She can't operate unchallenged anyways. And uh, what happens is Jezebel has to be allowed to operate in your life, in your church, in your sphere. So the concern against the church that the spirit brought forth was you tolerate this spirit. So these are things that we shouldn't tolerate in our lives. These are things we shouldn't tolerate in our families. These are things we shouldn't tolerate in our churches. Which leads us to, do you have anything else on that before we move on?
0: I'm just prepping myself for the next one. Okay, Okay, well, you want to start? Oh, go
2: ahead. Oh, I was going to say that then, like you're saying, we have to recognize that the Jezebel spirit, like many things, begins in the home. It begins within our heart, attitude, towards God and how we truly view God and see the head of our life. Are we going to listen to his word or we're going to trust our own thought? Right?
0: So one of the other, there's many characteristics of Jezebel that we could be talking about, but we want to move ahead to um, uh, Balaam.
1: From Pergamum.
0: Exactly. And that's what I was looking up that verse here.
1: You tolerate those who hold to the teaching of Balaam.
0: There you go. And that was a warning to the church of Pergamum. And um, so what are the teachings of Balaam? It is the attitude that one can be fully cooperative with the world and still serve God. Do I need to say that again? It is the attitude that one can be fully cooperative with the world and still serve God. So the doctrine of Balaam teaches compromise, wanting Christians to forget they are called to be separate, called out ones, holy. And in 1 Peter Uh, chapter one, verse two, it says, God, the father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have cleansed and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. We've been called to be holy. We've been called to be separate. We've been called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so the doctrine of Balaam makes believers indistinguishable from the unbelieving world. Have you noticed that there are people that you have no idea they're Christian until by some chance you're having a conversation and there's something in the dialogue that indicates, oh, I go to church. But then on another time, somebody may come up to you and says, you're a Christian, aren't you? Hmm, how do you know? I can tell, I can see it in the way you smile. I can see it in the way you walk, in the way you talk, in the way you do your work. And see, we need to be the light representing Jesus Christ. And so, but Balaam is trying to teach the the doctrine of Balaam is the belief that a little sin doesn't hurt anybody. And especially if there's some financial or personal benefit involved. Galatians 5 verse 9 says, this false teaching is a little is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. A person following the doctrine of Balaam is willing to compromise his beliefs for the sake of economics. He acts to, the, to enable sinful behaviors for personal gain or even participating in them. I'll let you go.
1: Okay. Balaam, he taught Balak the enemy how to get Israel to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. So what he did was was through food sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality. So basically Balaam, Balak, the leader of the enemy of Israel, tried to hire him to curse Israel five times. And God would not allow him to curse Israel. So what did Balaam do? He blessed him. And Balak's like, wait, I hired you to curse them, and now you're blessing them. And at the end of the day, Balak couldn't convince our oh, sorry, Balaam, couldn't convince God after the donkey spoke to him. He kind of figured, God's not gonna come over to my way of thinking. So if you're trying to get God to come over to your way of thinking, my suggestion, change your opinion now because otherwise, there's a certain level of animal that might have to speak to you to get your attention, to make you realize that God's not gonna come over to your way of thinking.
0: You mean a donkey.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's what I was thinking. But Bala- Balaam taught Balak, he said, listen, God's blessed Israel. The only way you're gonna beat them is if you lead them into immorality. So send your women in. And then once your women start getting them into immorality, then they'll start sacrificing, eating food, sacrifice to idols and participating in pagan worship. Yeah. And then God will judge them. God would not allow him to do that. But Balaam still hoped to profit from their demise because he had a root spirit of covetous in his life. And there was a mixture of true worship and idolatry. that can never be. And this is addressed in Second Peter chapter two. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasure in broad daylight. They're a disgrace and a stain among you, and they delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes. Their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They've wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong right
2: so in today's culture what does that look like today well we see that years ago there was um, just a few years back there was a thing started up called chrislam you know we're mixing christianity with islam mm-hmm. teaching and bringing it together and calling it right of god when the two two religions we don't we don't serve the same God, right? We believe Jesus Christ is Lord. They have another one. But to mold them together and say, yeah, we're all together, well, there you are. You're, you're falling into this here structure. And now we hear of Christian Wiccas and uh, doing the Christian yoga thing, you know. Well, some people are unknowing doing that. When you're out there doing the yoga, every one of those uh, poses that you do or whatever... Each one of them is doing, obstinence uh, or whatever you want to say. You're you're giving honor to a deity. Each one of them is to a certain deity. Every pose is to a deity. She said, "Well, I'm not doing it to to worship this deity, but in essence, you are giving homage to the deity by doing the funky little pose or whatever." But you, you know, and you're trying to get your mind quieted, but you're actually allowing open the door for the devil.
0: But is God's grace not enough to cover all that?
2: Definitely. God's grace is, but you mean, what do you say? Oh, you try to get me. Uh. Yeah. No, no. God, God's grace is enough to cover that so that you don't
0: need to go there. Amen.
2: All right. Not cover, not cover the sin of actually in it.
0: Ah, Dale so, did say before that he was worried about coming up with me.
1: <laughs> ah. So, at the Church of Ephesus, one of the things that God um, commended them on was that they hated the works of the Nicolaitans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the Nicolaitans uh, conformed to the Roman culture. Um, you better go with that because otherwise, I'm not going to get to my part and I'm going to talk a long time.
0: So what, you want me to be brief? Is that what you're saying?
1: You can, you can do that first part.
0: <laughs> the Nicolaitans, they appear to conform to Roman culture that, and uh, they encourage Christians like the way of Balaam in uh, Ephesus to do, to do the same uh, in a time of real persecution. And so the persecution, I think it was um, Domitian was the ruler at that time. And, um, and so they were, they were starving out the, the Christian people. And so, because of their hunger, the Nicolaitans, they found a way that they could go to the temple and worship, but they would eat the meat sacrificed for idols. And, and so they were encouraging Christians in Ephesus to do the same thing. Um, in eating the food given to these idols, it implied that they had to go to the temple and they had to participate in the rituals that would allow them the opportunity to eat this meat. Um, and, and so they compromised their, their faith, they compromised their standards in order to meet a personal
1: need. So I'm gonna jump in right there. We okay. see this when people reject the authority of scriptures alone. I hear people say all the time, well, when I look at that verse, it means this to me, that's nice, but that's not what it means in the context that it was written. Yep. Or in light of what all the other scriptures say. Or my belief on the matter is, How much religious activity is man-made as opposed to spirit-inspired? I watch people get in debates on this all the time. Is it love? Is it this? Is it that? Should we do this? Should we do that? Oh, Jesus never broke the, yes, he did. Jesus confronted the man-made religion that the Pharisees were operating in consistently. They killed him because of it. He didn't break God's law, but he certainly broke man's. Wait, what? Jesus followed all the law. Yeah, he followed God's moral law, but he didn't follow man's fake law. Right, amen. Right. Right. Where they put all this extra weight on people. Yep. Yeah. Think about it. Jesus walked in the temple and drove out the money changers with a whip. Why? Because they were taking advantage of people. It was the law. You could only sacrifice with these coins, but you could only buy sacrifices with the temple coins. But that was a man-made implication that they put on people to add weight. Even in spirit-filled churches, we see this. <laughs> There's the, the, you know, the list of acceptable activities. I mean, some of you might have grown up in a church where the movies were of the devil.
0: You did. I did, absolutely. Not just movies, music too. <laughs> and cards and lots of music. things.
1: So here's the thing though, here's the catch. There is some movies that are absolutely of the devil, and you, as a Christian, have no business exposing your eye and ear gate to those movies. Amen, That's amen, right. Amen. That's right. And then you do, and you struggle, and then you get mad at God because His promises aren't true. That's not true. You're double-minded and unstable because you're submitting yourself to the wrong information. Amen. It's time that the church grows up and start taking responsibility for their life and not blaming it on everyone else.
2: All right. All right.
1: We also see this, like this Nicolaitan doctrine, they want to separate the deeds of the flesh from their emotional and spiritual well-being. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's, they want to ignore that they want to live in the flesh and do all kinds of things that you know uh, the flesh wants to do. The, the, there's a theological term we use that's antinomian, where basically they say, because of grace you're released from the obligation to follow God's moral law. Okay, that is 100% false. But when you look at the roots of this teaching, that's where we get these ideas that once you're saved, you're always saved. You can never walk away from the truth. That's an antinomian false teaching from Nicolaitans that's addressed. And the church at Ephesus was commended because they hated these teachings. John 17, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth.
2: Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. I was just, just going to add a little bit to that. Is Absolutely. That when Paul said, I became all things to all men that I may win them to Christ, he didn't become a drunk to win the drunkards or a prostitute to win the prostitutes. Right? He sat with them. He told them the truth because the word is truth to draw them out of that to bring them to salvation. Amen. And to each one of us too, where we were all there at one time, but there was something that he spoke to us that in our sin that brought us out of
1: it. So if I'm a vegetarian, I don't have to eat meat to communicate love to the meat eaters that I love them.
2: Yeah. Sure. Why not?
1: <laughs> I like <that>. Lukewarm.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Dale, I love, you had an incredible quote that you shared earlier about this oh, topic of lukewarm, yes. oh. you know, so the concept of lukewarm, that was the, the church that Pastor RJ was referencing close to the beginning, the Laodicean church, um, where they had, you know, lukewarm water coming to their town. Um, but anyways, the, the, um, words of, of, um, warning to them is that they're neither hot nor cold, right? They're lukewarm. And because of that, God says, I will spit you out of my mouth. But, uh, I, I really like those words that you had. Um, why don't you share that?
2: Okay. This is from Design to Lead, as we're most taken, most of us here, or many of us are taking it. It says, the scant number of people in most churches who view their neighborhoods and professions as God-given mission opportunities reveals an incomplete view of or lack of passion for the mission of God. Saying that the number of people within the church don't take, we aren't taken seriously our call to God to win souls to christ so we're able to we just float along yeah it's okay for the moment while we're here but once we get outside the doors of the church well that just falls to the wayside
0: they call that sins of omission so in other words you know we sin by what we do but we also sin by what we don't do that we should be doing
1: so my head's freaking out right now because our time is up, but we have a few more things that we'd like to cover today. So please bear with us. We're going to work through this rather quickly and I we will end you. within the next few minutes. We knew we had a lot of content, right? <laughs> so just be patient. First John 5, 4 and 5, it talks about being an overcomer. Yeah. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those that believe that Jesus is... The Son of God. Who are the ones who overcome?
2: Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, And what's the overcome to them? <laughs> well, what's he say? Those who believe in the, as the churches, says those who receive the right to eat, what do they receive? The right to eat from the tree of life.
0: Not hurt from the second death.
2: They receive hidden manna and a white stone with a new name.
1: I love that one. That's Pergamon. Pergamon. The white stone. So what you wouldn't understand is in Pergamum, if you were in a court of law, the jurors would either give you a white stone to prove your innocence or a black stone if they thought you were guilty. Mm. When Jesus died on the cross, guess what he gives all of us for our sins? White White stone stone, and we
0: get a new name. (laughs) Redeemed. (laughs) You will receive authority over the nations.
2: You'll be dressed in white robes.
0: Made
1: pillars inscribed with a new name. And you received the right to sit on Christ's throne. Yes, hallelujah. So not all the churches were given all of these promises. Those were only given to the ones who overcame. But what, what would happen if you didn't overcome? Well,
0: so lampstand you, removed. Oh,
2: some will enter into testing and persecutions.
0: Christ fights against you for, with the sword of his mouth. You
1: suffer terribly. He yeah. says, I'll come like a thief. And he spits you out, rebukes you, and punishes you. See, people have this great misunderstanding of the love of God because, oh, God loves people. He would never send people to hell. It's kind of true. He allows people to choose to go there. But because he's just, if you don't follow his plan, there is going to be judgment. The two go hand in hand. So they, people misunderstand what the fear of the Lord is. Yeah. Yeah. Philadelphia.
0: Philadelphia church. Because you have kept the word, because you have kept my word and persevered, I will keep you from the hour of testing. This is the faithful and true church. Out of the seven, this is the one. The only one that didn't have uh, a warning that went with that church. The only faithful and true church. Because they kept the word and persevered. They were weak, they were struggling, but they persevered, they kept the word. And um, we want to be like the Philadelphia church. We want the characteristics of the Philadelphia church. And, you know, um, we need to learn to die. I, I truly believe the Philadelphia church, they knew how to die on a daily basis. Second Peter 3, verses 13 to 15, the first part of that verse, But we are looking forward to the new heavens and a new earth with his promise. Or the new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives. That you are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That's what this is all about, isn't it? Yes. And so what should be our prayer? What what should be our prayer? As, as, you know, people listening here, what would you tell them? This is what you need to pray.
1: Psalms 139. Psalms
2: 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Truly, that should be our heart's cry daily. Lord, here I am. I am yours. Search me. Try me.
0: You know, as we were preparing for this, um, for this week, I'd been praying and asking, God, what is your, if you were to write a letter for WCF, what would that be? What's your letter for WCF? And um, interestingly, yesterday, Somebody sent me a text message with these words. Tell them they need to press into me like they've never pressed into me before. If they don't want to be swayed by what's to come, they need to come close to me. They need to grow in their relationship with me. Their identity needs to be rooted in me, deeply rooted. They need to stop focusing on the things of this world and let their focus only be on me. When things start to get worse, they need to come to me. They need to come together as one body, strengthened, strengthening each other for what's to come. Are, you, are, you, are one of you struggling? They should gather, gather together and pray. My people need to go back and see who my disciples first... They, my people need to go back and see how my disciples first started the church. They need to go back to what my word says about the church. Go back to the foundation do my people know how much I love them? Let them, accept, let them accept my discipline and know that my discipline is good. I discipline those I love. Let all those whose hearts are open hear those words and listen. The wise listen to great counsel and they become wiser. Let all those willing to hear grow stronger in their faith in me. When their faith is in me, nothing will stop them. A boldness will be poured out onto them like never before. Things may get worse, but the glory and power that will follow is greater. The light will outshine the darkness like my people have never seen before. Are you ready? Are my people ready? Are their foundations strong? Are their roots deeply planted? I can't stress it enough. Let all those who claim to be my followers follow me.
1: Let's stand together. Let's stand together.